This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we are back today starting up a new topic yes. on progressive Christianity. Yeah, this is going to be good. Yeah, and by the way, I'm your host, Tyler Hurley, here with Robbie Lashua. Yeah, good to be back. Thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoyed our last series that we just finished up last week. Yeah, on context. context. Yeah, hopefully you can, if, if you have some people in your life that are struggling with how to read scripture or how to study scripture, mm. just point them to that series and have them listen through and practice the things that we taught. I think it'll be a really helpful resource going forward. Forward. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's super important that we're investigating scripture, and that's the whole point of what that series was about. So. Yeah, and today, yes. now we're going to move into certain ideologies people have that are opposite of what we talked yes. about for that whole series. Exactly. That's kind of yeah. what this this topic's yeah. going to be. It's going to be like, okay, well, now we understand context and how we should be looking at the Bible, and yes. we're going to look at people who do that wrong, who do yeah. that poorly, Have right? Have a different view and of it look, That's just straight up what it is, and we're going to get into this a little bit deeper, but before we get into the topic... Robbie has a coffee tip. Yeah, coffee share. tip for the day. Yeah. We always love to share coffee tips here on Christ Culture and Coffee. That's the coffee portion of the show. Yeah. And so here's the tip for you guys for today. Um, ratio of coffee grounds to water is vital to get a great cup of coffee. And if you use a French press, you use a French press? Oh, yeah, I, I do. I love French not, press. Not every day, but, but it's a, a, lot. It's a yeah. lot. Yeah, It's it's helpful because it's it's probably the best cup of coffee you can make quickly at home. Yeah. And so a French That's press, fair. if you don't know what it is, it's just a cylinder, and then there's like a plunger on the end of it, and you put the grounds and the hot water in, you let it steep for a while, and then you plunge the grounds to the bottom, pour yourself a coffee, and it traps the grounds so you don't get them in your cup. Yep. But if you're going to make a French press cup of coffee, what you need to do is remember the ratio of coffee grounds to to water and this is what's called the right. golden ratio <laughs> this is like the standard of you want the perfect cup of coffee this is the correct the ratio. ratio i like that name in order to do it you're going to need to buy something you're going to need to become a coffee snob and buy a piece of equipment that will help you with your coffee snobbery. And what that piece of equipment is, is a food scale. Oh, my. <laughs> I know. You need it. You need a little scale very, so you can measure very it Very precise. Very precise. Here. We're talking, yeah, if you want a great cup of coffee, this is what you got to do. So the golden ratio is you want one gram of coffee for every 17 grams of water. Mm, wow. So That's you're the ratio. The water and everything too. Yeah, or you, you can just figure out you know how many grams. I think oh, there's sure, like 28 sure. point something grams in an ounce. Yeah, yeah. And so just you can figure it way. out based on ounces. But um, it's really important to do that. So once you know how many grams of coffee you need for the size of your French press, you just pour out the, of course, fresh bean, you know, whole oh, bean yeah. coffee. Freshly ground. Freshly, yeah, freshly roasted. Very, then yeah. you grind it. And then you you measure it though before you grind it. Yeah. I think that's important. So yeah. you measure the beans before you grind them. Make sure you have one gram for every 17 grams of water. You grind them, you put them in, you pour the hot water in, and then you let it steep for five minutes, and then you plunge it, and you have a f fantastic cup of coffee. Look at that. So the golden yeah. ratio, one gram of coffee for every 17 grams of water. That's what you got to remember. That's pretty cool. When I yeah. make French press, I've always just lean more on the side of just adding a little more grounds. Like when I eyeball it, I'm like, just, just sure. never, because it's always better when you have coffee that's a little too strong rather than not strong yeah, at all. Yeah, weak coffee, you can't fix that. No, there's <laughs> yeah, nothing you can do. It's the same to me. That's the same as putting like if 
too much creamer in your coffee. It's yeah. just, oh my gosh, you can't I always think that. if I can see through this, I did it wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, good, uh, good rule there. Yeah. But that's the coffee tip well, cool. for today. So now let's move on yeah. to talking about progressive Christianity. This is yes. a very, I don't want to say it's a new thing, but this is a new name for an old thing mm-hmm. that's kind of made a, a comeback or a strong resurgence. Um, and yeah, there's a lot going on about this. Oh, and there's yeah. there's a ton of great apologetics ministries that are directed toward addressing this. But today we want to kind of talk about an aspect of progressive Christianity. Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons, too, we chose to talk about this topic is because progressive Christianity is up and rising. Like, yep. Not that it, it hasn't already been around, like Robbie just mentioned, but it's gaining traction all over the Christian church, like uh, like at large here. And, and it's crazy. And there's some real examples that we're going to provide to you guys in this episode specifically from a church that is uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Grace Point Church. Okay. Yep. Now, now this, I think, after looking at this, is a textbook idea of what a progressive church is looks like. Well, and they literally, if you go onto their site or their Instagram, it says a progressive Christian church. No kidding. So that's how they're marketing themselves. This is what they think. It's that straightforward. So they are marketing. They're not trying to hide it. They're not like closed door progressive church. Oh, no, no, no. They They identify as They are completely open about this. Yes. So uh, they identify as this. And not only that, though, what's crazy is um, they're so radical with these progressive ideas that half of their staff identifies as part of the LGBTQ community. Yes. Yeah, which which right. is crazy. And so they affirm this idea of LGBT yeah, every, ideas in... They're radically yeah. inclusive is how they describe themselves. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. So it's not just a matter of they're inclusive of these people, but they want them on their staff. They seek them out. Well, and too, it's not even it. just loving people... Uh, loving all people. Oh, I sure. think we're called to do that. Yeah, it's yeah. affirming all lifestyles. Exactly, it's affirming all sexual. And that's what we need to clarify, because yeah. because that's a, we don't believe that churches should shut out people who identify no. as LGBTQ. Oh, we, no. we don't believe that at all. No, that's not what we're saying. What we are saying though is it becomes dangerous when a church starts affirming and saying that it is okay biblically to live out this to lifestyle. have that type of a sexuality. Yes. Yeah, and when the Bible's against it. Exactly, and yeah. that's what Grace Point Church is doing. Um, and so now uh, there's this Instagram post actually that they uh, that had come out. Yeah, uh, some of you may know who um, uh, Tim Barnett is. He is with um, Sanda Reason. He does this thing called Red Red Pen Logic with. Mr. B. Yeah, if you haven't followed yeah. Ren Pen Logic with Mr. B, he has a Facebook and oh, Instagram, yeah, and yeah. it's an awesome apologetics um, uh, account for you to follow. It's, you, it's, it's fantastic. It's great. Yeah, yeah you should check it out. What he does is he he attacks these posts online where um, he'll take something that shares whether it's a tweet from a, a like a celebrity, yeah, or an Instagram or post, a, or yeah, or something like that. What he'll do is he'll take a red pen as though like he's a teacher grading yeah. their statement, and he corrects it and get, brings biblical truth and applies apologetics to whatever the post was saying. And then he reposts it. Yeah, and then he reposts it. <laughs> yeah, He's like, look at this. Good. So this was interesting. So um, he posted this. Uh, he kind of uh, like attacked this He red-penned idea. it, yeah. He red-penned it, yeah. yeah. Of a post by Grace Point, yes. by this church. And it's crazy. So it, it was. you can go on their Instagram and you'll see this. It was on uh, February 7th. And, and this post is so radical. Mm-hmm. Uh it, like the least I could put it. Like yeah. it's just, it's yeah. absolutely radical. And so the, what they did is they had this chart comparison image that they put up and they said, uh, in the caption first, they said, as progressive Christians, we're open to the tensions and inconsistencies in the Bible. We know that it can't live up to impossible modern standards. We strive 
to more clearly articulate what scripture is and isn't. And so Mm -hmm. then with that caption, they made these two columns and they said, the Bible isn't, and the Bible is. Mm -hmm. And they said, the Bible isn't the word of God. The Bible isn't self-interpreting a science book, an answer slash rule book, inherent or infallible. Yep. And they said, and this is what they believe, the Bible is a product of community, a library of texts, multivocal, a human response to God, living and dynamic. Yeah. That's, that's what they say that the Bible is and is not. Extremely radical. Yeah, this is a big time departure from classical Christianity. Yeah. Uh, as classical Christians, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and by the word inspired, we mean God-breathed, yes. which is the, the Greek word used for this, and it means that God is the ultimate author of scripture. So they say the Bible isn't the word of God. We believe it literally is the word of God, and he moved men like mm. Peter said, to write down the things he wanted written down. So it is written by human beings, but it also is the inspired word of God. Yes, It's not merely a human book, but they don't believe that. They believe it isn't the word of God. They believe it isn't inerrant or infallible, which means they think there's mistakes in it, which is why they say we live in the tension of the inconsistencies. You see? Um, They think it's a library of text and a product of community, which means it's a product of a certain time period and culture, and that if we don't live in that time period and culture, we have to figure out how we respond to God in our time period and culture. And so this really plays into um, a lot of their beliefs on how you can make up whatever you want. Pretty much, yeah. About your belief, it's that simple to them. To yeah. them, it's it's just okay. The Bible is just relative; it's completely up to interpretation. And we're we're gonna it dive is. into that. More it is. And more. It's, it's post. Yeah. It's postmodern Christianity, and the truth of it is, it's intentionally postmodern Christianity. And they say that too. Yeah, this yeah. is where we get it from. So I was I was looking into this church and uh, just going through their Instagram posts, and actually I saw a familiar face on their Instagram post. They yeah. have this series going on right now about what is progressive Christianity. And I saw (laughs) this guy and I'm like, hey, I know that guy. And I I saw this guy and his name's Brian McLaren. uh, And I saw that he actually spoke at their church a few weeks ago on February 28th as part of the series on what is progressive Christianity. So I know Brian McLaren because back when I was in college, he was like a really popular Mm. Christian author, an innovator, and he was part of what used to be called the emergent church movement. Um, and, uh, in 2001, he came out with a book called a new kind of Christian. And then in 2011 or 2000, yeah, I think it was 2011, 2010, he came out with a book called a new kind of Christianity. And, um, in this book, a new kind of Christianity, he kind of sets up what he calls these 10 questions that are transforming the faith. And so in these 10 questions, he says, what do we, what do we need to ask about this? And how do we find this, 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 as we're moving into a new era of Christianity? And so we thought, since he's like the source guru, one of the gurus of progressive Christianity, we would go through the doctrines he proposes in that book. And then yes. we would talk about the, the issues and the problems that these new ideas, these relativistic 
postmodern yes. ideas pose within Christianity. Yeah, exactly. So so there's there's 10 questions. Yeah, that we're, we're not going to go cover. over all 10 of them. Right. We, in the book he does 10. I think we're just going to I can't remember. We're yeah. going to go over a few of them. Yeah. Uh, and just describe what he says in the book needs to happen. And then as we're doing this, you're going to kind of see where Grace Point Church is getting their ideas from. Yeah, it's clear that this is kind of where the progressive church movement is coming from, right? Yep. Like this is their authority essentially. Yeah, and that's why they had him come and speak on what it is. And, and that's the thing. You always come to find with like these heretical ideas, uh, things that keep creeping up in cults in different mm -hmm. religions, there's always some, they, someone who is giving the authority, right? Even yes. the people who don't admit it and say, oh, we're just following what this says. No, th there's always something that you can source this back to. Yeah, these ideas didn't come just from the Bible. No, These ideas didn't. came from Brian McLaren. Exactly. And other guys yeah. that are in that oh, circle. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. And it's it's just being fed on in yeah. this community. And so we're going to touch base on that. So t we're going to start off first with the first question. Uh, yes. And this is called the narrative question that yeah, he writes and, about in his book. And this, yeah, this is all from A New Kind of Christianity, 10 Questions That Are Transformed in the yeah. faith. I highly recommend you read it, not because I think it's sure. good or true, but you should read ideas that, as classical Christians, we disagree with, Yeah, uh, just so we know how to talk with people about it and how to yes. bring biblical truth to it. Oh, it's so important to read uh, different viewpoints. It is. So that way you yeah. can understand. Uh, it strengthens your faith in the end, too, because you can see the problems <laughs> with it. That That's right. often is what happens. Uh, so again, to get into these questions, first is the, what he calls the narrative question, right? Yeah. So what is the overarching story of the Bible? Like, mm -hmm. what is the main idea? Okay. So uh, McLaren explains in detail how Western civilization has hijacked the true narrative of the Bible and imposed mm -hmm. Greco-Roman philosophies on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. The view that the narrative of the Bible is uh, Eden, the fall, condemnation, salvation, heaven, or hell is simply a mixing of Platonic or Aristotelian philosophies, according to McLaren. That's mm -hmm. what he believes, right? So it's a mixing of these different philosophical ideas. Yeah, so he's saying that Christianity for a long time it was just got it wrong. Like, we got it wrong. The Bible isn't saying yes. this is the meta-narrative, this is the overarching story. We mistook it. Yeah, and that's exactly what he says. Yeah. And so uh, on with that, too, he claims that the real narrative of the Bible is seen in uh, Genesis, which is creation and reconciliation, Exodus, which is liberation and oppression and formation, and Isaiah, reconciler, right? Uh, mm -hmm. McLaren interprets scriptures such as Isaiah 65, 17, 25, as I'm, I'm going to quote him here mm -hmm. directly from his book. He, he interprets Isaiah 65, 17 through 25 as wolves living with lambs. Today, that would mean Christians and Jews and Muslims throwing a picnic together or lefties and right-wingers forming a band and singing in harmony or nuclear weapons engineers being redeployed to develop green energy. And that, that's a quote from his book. He yeah, said that's that from a new kind of Christianity. Yep. Yeah, and so the rest of the book works from the assumption that the Greco-Roman narrative, although there's really no proof that this actually exists. Well, he just says that that's a thing. He yeah. just makes this up. That's yeah. really what he's doing. Uh, and he says that it is the cause for many of the problems that we see in the biblical narrative, such as teaching liberation theology and worldwide peace as the kingdom of God is now. And so yeah. it, you can see he's just making stuff up. Like, yeah, literally. I mean, this. yeah, he's yeah. trying to say, like, we, we have a mistaken idea about what the big story is. And then he's giving us a, here's what yeah. I think the big story is. That's exactly it. And the thing is, is when he says, I think you're not seeing a backing up of this. 
I, I don't yeah. see it. Like, there's not a true, like, hey, I'm getting this from here. It's yeah. just, no, I'm perceiving this as this doesn't make sense. So I'm going to tell you what it really means. Yeah. And what he needs to be able to do is show us evidence why that is the meta narrative of scripture and that the other idea that Christians have had for 2000 years about creation, fall, redemption, you have to provide evidence that they're wrong. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what he'd need to to do. But this is a very, um, postmodern-y thing to do. Of course. The postmodern belief is that there isn't a meta narrative Mm. over everything. And that we as communities create our own. It's like it's like the idea of, oh, morality is kind of created within each culture. It's that idea. Yeah. The problem is, is that in and of itself is a meta-narrative. It is an overarching story that there are no ar- overarching stories. Mm-hmm. So why are you allowed to tell me that that is the overarching story? Yeah, it, exactly. You see, it, it's, it's illogical it because to a point relativism yeah. is illogical. Exactly. You have to have everything sourced from something. It comes from something, and there is objective truth. We don't create our own reality. Yeah. But that's what he's trying to uh, bring into Christianity is postmodern philosophy, postmodern thought. Yeah, and that's step number one: the narrative. What's the real story of the Bible? Yeah, and so that's what he. We've got it wrong. Thank God for Brian McLaren coming along to tell us what it actually is. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Modern day Martin Luther. I mean, (laughs) like, yeah. (laughs) Well, the second question that he asks is. what what he calls the authority question, uh, how should the Bible be understood? Right. Okay. Yep. So now this is what he proposes about that. He says, quote, there will be no new kind of Christian faith without a new approach to the Bible because we've gotten ourselves into a mess with the Bible. So he goes on to explain how this new approach to understanding the Bible is to throw out the concept that the Bible is an ethical rule book or it's a legal constitution, and instead understand it as a community library of the faith. Oh, where have we heard that? Literally that Instagram post. That Instagram post. They said it's a library of text. That's exactly what they said. And the truth of it is, time out, like we don't believe this is one book. It's a collection of Of 66 books by different authors that were inspired by God. So in the sense, it is a library because there are multiple books in it. Absolutely. But yeah. what he's saying isn't that it's multiple books that God inspired men to write. No, no, no. He's saying it's a library of text of how people interacted with God in their given time. Yeah, his point is saying it's a collection of these good texts that we have. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yep, and that's how we should look at it. It's a community library of the faith. Yeah. He goes on in the book to say, uh, quote, The expectations we bring to a constitution and a library couldn't be more different. For starters, a constitution is neat and we assume it has internal consistency. But culture is messy and full of internal tension and those characteristics would be reflected in a good library. Mm. End quote. So this new way of understanding makes it very easy for Brian McLaren to cut and paste what he likes and what he dislikes within the biblical text. Yeah. Because it's just a library snapshot of that time. It's not God telling us how human beings should be for all time. Yeah. It's just what that culture kind of thought God was like. Yeah. And I, I got to touch something on that too. Yeah. It, it really, when you when you look at that, that second question that he presents, right, of the authority, uh-huh. and he's saying like, yeah, like. The Bible is just this collection of texts and it's all subjective. That really, it really starts to sound a lot similar to like Eastern religions and Mm. and way of thinking. Yeah. Because you have like Hinduism and their texts are all subjective. They don't have like a sacred text or something. So at that point, it starts to just become this 
relative blob of text that yeah. really, if you think about, if you really boil down the philosophy of it, it becomes meaningless mm -hmm. because the point is, is it's up to the interpretation of the one who's reading it and when it yeah. becomes subjective. And what you like or don't like about it. Exactly. And it, yeah. it's so sad. That, like, the other thing I've, it, I've thought about yeah. too with this is, so it, if he's right, this is what I've always struggled sure. with is, I mean, not always, struggled, but for the last 11 years since yeah. I read this book yeah. is... If, if it's merely a library of how human beings have interacted with God throughout time, why were the Jews against adding oh. all of their histories and all of their books to this community library? That's a great point. What was it that excluded some from not being in there and others from being in there? Yeah. And if you read Josephus, he says that the Jewish belief was that God stopped speaking through prophets after Malachi. Which means yeah. that the Maccabees and Tobit and Susanna and all of the intertestamental books, they didn't regard as scriptures. Why? Because it wasn't from God. That was their view of it. They, then in that case, you just have to completely remove all yeah. the history of how the Bible was put together. Yeah. And not even just that. You have to like remove, like you said, like the religious zealots who were very yeah. sensitive well, about I just what— don't, yeah. I don't understand. If it is merely a collection, why right. exclude other books? Exactly. Why have people why, yeah, why excluded— not put it all in? Yeah, it doesn't why make throw it any all sense. But yeah. the Jewish belief was because these men speak— on God's behalf. Yes. Not these are these men's ideas about what God thinks. Right. Of course. It's and a different. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. And uh, now I, I think I think we should get into the next question here now. Yeah. So uh, the fourth question is the Jesus question, right? And that mm -hmm. that's so important to everyone. Yeah. What? Who's Jesus? What? What's Who is the big Jesus, deal? Right. Yeah. That's the pinnacle of our religion. So we need to focus on that question. Who is Jesus and why is he important? So according to McLaren, Jesus did not come to save people from hell. That, that's what okay. he believed. Jesus is compassionate and loving while never condemning anyone or judging anyone. What? Yeah, because, you know, you've never seen him but uh, judge the, the, or condemn I see anyone him do in Scripture, that right? In the Bible, yeah. No, come on, Robbie. He's never done that. You can't. Many think will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, look at all the works we did for you. <laughs> and I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. What is that called? Judgment? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Depends tough. on your subjective interpretation. Yeah. But yeah, but that's the thing. He believed that Jesus is compassionate and loving, but never condemning or judging anyone. That Jesus came to liberate the poor, the oppressed, and the blind, and also to create a peacemaking kingdom, mm -hmm. to inaugurate a peacemaking kingdom, right? Okay. That's what he believed that he came to do. So... And I would say all of those things in a sense, sure. Of course, but, but, but what do you mean by it? it? Yeah, see. That's the point. So, well, and so that's a big problem. And uh, yeah. when you, you can see what this does, though. When you start to come out and say, Jesus didn't come to condemn or deject, they're throwing out these terms and ideologies because their main goal is subject subjectivity mm -hmm. so they can include LGBT community yeah. and they can include these other ideas. And it's just all about inclusivism. That's really what's happening. Except in one sense where they want to exclude sin as a doctrine. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause that's the yeah. one thing he never Absolutely. addresses is what's the problem with humanity. That's a great point. I didn't even think of that. And yeah, in our meta narrative, in the real meta narrative, it's God made everything good and the fall. Yeah. The falls are yes. really important aspect to why evil exists, why it's death so exists, important. why Jesus had to come to save us. But yeah. when you remove that, Jesus doesn't need to save people from no. hell. Jesus, right, no. and so so th that's one of the issues is there's this big exclusion of sin and what it is, 
And yeah. uh, in order to include a lot of things, they have to exclude that yeah. from being a doctrine. Yeah, and I think that that leads perfectly into our next question, because the next question, right, is focused on what is the gospel then? According yeah. to this doctrine. Yeah, what's the good news? Yeah, well, the answer to who Jesus was then leads to that question, the gospel question. So the gospel is not the good news, according to, to him. The gospel is not the good news of how people can be justified, sanctified, and glorified by belief in Jesus' atoning sacrifice. According to McLaren, the gospel is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God can bring peace to mankind, liberate evil, war, oppression, racism, etc. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came to announce a new kingdom, a new way of life, a new way of peace that carried good news to all people of every religion. And a new kingdom is much bigger than a new religion. And in fact, it has room for many religions and traditions with it. Now that's a quote directly yeah, from this okay. book right there. Many so, religions and traditions within it. Yes, wow. exactly. So that's the thing. So it comes to this such a vague idea of what the gospel is, because I don't even feel like that that's fully defined as something like, what is that? Right? Like, what is yeah, that? It's just based can, on this yeah. idea of we just love, which translates to we just accept everything. Everything, except right? Except classical Christianity. Oh, there's a lot of things I'm sure that they're very unaccepting of. Yeah. That they yeah. would say, oh, no, we shouldn't accept that. But yeah. So then wh- where where's the line drawn? That's the question. The like, line gets drawn on what I like. Oh. And, and see, okay. so you do, no matter, no matter what you believe, you have to have some type of a standard. Of course. And yeah. as much as you try to be relativistic, the whole your truth's true for you, my truth's true for me, right? Yeah. The whole yeah. time you try to be postmodern, you really are at your core – a staunch objective truth proponent. Yeah, we have talked about because, this yeah, you, time and time you, again. You can't get away from the fact that you think certain things are true for all people in all places yeah. for all time. You can't get away from that. The fact that McLaren is explaining this is the meta narrative of scripture means he thinks that that is an objective truth that all people should agree on. Yeah. Not a, uh, it's, you it's can do true. whatever you want. And so yeah, that's yeah. where th- these groups talk a lot about, and even I was looking at that that church on their Instagram, they talk a lot about, um, we are a community and we like to have conversations and live within the tension of not knowing. And th- and it's like, well, but there are certain doctrines that you force people to hold to as objective truth, but you're trying to propose that you are this group of people yeah. who's just on a journey together. It's and just a double standard. It's it, you, you are objective when you want to be. That's yes. really what's happening. You're, you're objective when you want to be, and you're attacking the idea of being objective. So it's, 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 it's a counterproductive yeah. belief, but that's why exactly. postmodernism or relativism is fallacious because it just doesn't work. it's not livable. No, yeah, it no doesn't one, work. That's no exactly right. No one can right. live in a postmodern world, because it's not real. It's not real, especially when it comes no. to the physical universe, when it comes to gas in your car, when it comes to money in the bank. No. You can't just feel like you have a million dollars. It either is no. there or it's not there. But There's people not... tend to do this with religion, morality, and philosophy. Yep. That's the only thing that people do, and with sexuality a lot of times. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. It's just like everything's relative in, yep. those, in the moral In sense. those areas. But when it comes to the scientific, um, you know, physical world, yeah. then I'm an objectionist. You, you, it's because it's not livable. And but so Brian exactly McLaren, that, but that's where it's so contradictory yeah. because even McLaren, he is trying to propose an objection, uh, uh, an objective truth in what the overarching story of scripture is, yeah. which isn't yeah. a physical thing. 
Do you see the problem? It's a huge so problem. It, it is. Yeah. It, 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 it is a mess. Um, and right. uh, but their their big idea is again. You say, what's the point of the gospel? What's the point of Jesus? It's just he came to tell us to love people. There's no point. Which yeah. again, I think other religions have proposed this prior to Jesus. Yeah, lots have. And so, then that makes us no different at all. Yeah, it's not very yeah. significant. So, moving on, the sixth yeah, question right. he asks is the church question. What do we do about churches? Right. Mm. And he says that this question, uh, and actually the next four questions he goes on to talk about. Um, he proposes what he thinks church practice should look like in society. Basically, what he proposes, the purpose of the church is, is to form a, a group and community of people who lives out Christ-like love. Mm -hmm. And he says that 1 Corinthians 13 should be the text from which uh, church purpose is is brought out from. Yeah. And so it's all about just love is patient, love is kind, love does not. The interesting part of that passage is it says that Love rejoices in the truth. Yes. And that doesn't seem to be a thing within this group mm -mm. because truth is subjective. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely subjective. And that's, it's just crazy. So uh, moving on with this too, like we see in the seventh question that mm -hmm. he proposes is the question about sex. Okay. Yeah. So... Can we find a way to address human sexuality without fighting about it? That's mm. what. That's how he has this question. Why is not fighting about it the overarching moral? That's the question, right? Isn't that interesting? Like, why? Because <laughs> when <laughs> he adds that, that, that implies that implies oh, people are going to disagree about this. Yeah, and we're just going to say let's just not fight about it. Or also that fighting about it is bad. Where do you get this concept from? That, that's the thing. And th he only says that about this, right? He doesn't say, what is the gospel? What do we say the gospel is without fighting, without about, fighting it. about it? He doesn't yeah. say that. So like, why does he say that specifically about sexuality, right? Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, in this question, McLaren makes the point that homosexuals need to be welcomed fully into the new kind of Christianity. He compares homosexuality, homosexuality and the church's traditional stance on it to Jesus's statement about the Sabbath. And then this is quote, just as he asked, was the Sabbath made for humankind or humankind for the Sabbath? We can ask whether humans were made to fit into an absolute, unchanging institution called marriage, or whether marriage was created to help humans, perhaps including gay humans, live wisely and well in this world. Mm. So, so that's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's to include the homosexuality idea yeah. in Christianity. And so he also uh, um, he also compares the church's stance on homosexuality to the way that the church used to regard uh, retrograde motion of the planets in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> this, this is just, yeah, it's just crazy. So he, th this, of course, implies that the homosexuality, uh, sorry, that homosexuality is not against biblical text and that we need to live out the gospel of peace and love through allowing this. Yeah, it's it's implying that we got it wrong. Yeah, exactly. That just like we thought the earth was the center of the universe or whatever misconceptions were in the past. Yeah. The church has missed this thing about sexuality. Yeah, he's saying it's like like it's an old-fashioned thing that yeah. you didn't know about science or something. And in something. our postmodern culture, we need to adapt what we believe scripture says to fit and be relevant with our culture. And that's, that's so... That's such a slippery thing, because yeah. I don't think that the goal of Scripture is to conform 
Christianity to the ways of the world and the cultures and philosophies mm-hmm. of the world. I actually think it's the opposite of that. Yeah. And, and we're going to get into that. But but what we see with uh, progressive Christianity is a group of people who have adopted a lot of these ideologies that Brian McLaren wrote about 11 years ago. Yeah. Or, or even, even 21 years ago with his first book. Like that's where it stems from. And really what it should be called is postmodern Christianity mm. because it's taking the ideologies of postmodern, uh, postmodern philosophy that we kind of create our own realities through language and uh, things are relative to cultural norms. Yeah. And they apply that belief – to Christianity. So that's really progressive Christianity is such a positive sounding term. Like you you want to be progressive, you don't yeah, want you to think, be regressive. Well like progressive in general today is used as like this this way to mean like like you're trying to move forward to something, right? Like yeah. that's the idea you're trying to ch- make changes to get better. To get better. Progress right? is better, right? But really, it's regress. It's actually that's going what, back. That's it's what actually happens. it's doing yeah. what the Israelites did in the Old Testament, where they kept disobeying what God said. Well, it gets to a because point. they wanted to do what they wanted to do. Yeah, it gets to a point, especially when you have a perfect gospel and mm-hmm. the true reality, mm-hmm. right? It gets to a point where if you think like like how can we make this better because it's been around forever? Yeah, you can't because that's a point. The gospel is perfect in itself, like yes. with how God created the system. Yeah, and God's word that He gave to human beings is probably yeah. relevant I would say so to all human beings yeah I'd think now we need to explain it and we need to understand it and of, of course, course yes but I don't think we need to give it an update exactly and that's the thing <laughs> and, and when we try to change something that is inherently perfect mm-hmm. in that sense that it inverses on itself and it starts to like regress. Like, as you said, like we start to fall behind rather than progress. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, so again, with all this, you know, understanding Brian McLaren, where he came from, I think is important Oh, of course, um, in in his first book. Cause you ask, why did he come up with all this stuff? Well, what happened to him is this, he he talks about this in his first book, a new kind of Christian, which if you're going to read it, it's a fictional book about a pastor who starts struggling with these things. And then he meets this guy who's like a, a spiritual, guide guru who tells him how to change things. Um, But it's fictional. Uh, But in the beginning of the book, uh, he talks about his spiritual journey and how he grew up as a Christian and um, he uh, actually married a Catholic woman. And then he started like having this fellowship in his home and it kind of grew into this church that he pastored for a long time called Cedar Ridge Community. And I guess in 1994, he had like a crisis of faith because of postmodern philosophy and postmodern thought. Um, and so he decided as he was doing this that he needed to figure out if he really believed in Christianity mm. or if he didn't. Now, again, this doesn't mean you can't follow the Lord, but Brian McLaren has no theological training. Uh, he is an English professor, and that's how he made uh, his living. Um, and uh, he began to question Orthodox Christianity and become convinced of postmodernism. And he tried to and intentionally set out to adapt Christianity to postmodern thought. So um, yeah. he, he talks about this transition in, in that first book he wrote and explains all of this stuff. Um, and he says in the book, I want to read you this quote. He says, at that time, I could only see two alternatives. One, continue practicing and promoting the version of Christianity that I had deepening reservations about. Or two, leave Christian ministry and perhaps the Christian path altogether. There was a third alternative that I hadn't yet considered, learn to be a Christian in a new way. And that is the subject of this book. 
So um, the rest of the book goes on to talk about this fictional character and everything. But then he wrote the follow-up, A New Kind of Christianity, which isn't fictional, but it proposes these 10 questions that we've gone over. So you can really see what he's thinking the doctrines need to change and shift into. So it's important for us to know that all of this stemmed from Brian McLaren have a crisis of faith about the truth of Christianity and wanting to adapt it to postmodernism. To, to adapt it to the relativistic culture that was growing yeah. up around him. So we've got some issues with this entire ideology, yeah. right? The, the first thing is, though, it does sound good. Like, we love all people. Of course. As yeah. opposed to those other Christians who don't. Wait a second. I'm pretty sure Jesus told us we're supposed to love all people. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. But loving doesn't mean you accept everything they do. Mm-hmm. That's so, exactly it. it and, like that's yeah. the thing too. It, and we got to be crystal clear on this. Like when we keep because one of the, the main radical ideas in the progressive church, right, is the inclusiveness of uh, homosexual mm-hmm. ideas, right? Yeah, or transgender or ideas transgender, or whatever. Yeah, LGBTQ yeah. or other religions. Like he says, yeah. there's room for other religions. Yeah. yeah, and so see that that's a big a big area where we disagree. And the thing is, is it's not about, and the thing I'm trying to clarify here is it's not about that we're not including them in the sense that we're not allowing them to come to church. Sure. And we're not like saying that we're not socializing with them. We're not loving them. And we're not saying Jesus doesn't love them. Of course And we're not saying Jesus didn't die on the cross for them because he died on the cross for all human beings. Yes, but there has to come a point where you you stand, you have to draw a line, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to say, look, what is a lie? And what is truth? What is being lived out? And you can do that while still being social with them. Because truth sets us free. Exactly. lies come from the father of lies who comes to to kill and destroy us. Yes, exactly. And so that's what's so – that's what we got to find out is what is the solution – to the human problem. Right, yeah. And and he's kind of saying there's every solution, whatever solution you want to be. You'd never go to a doctor and believe that. No, of course not. He said, not. I've got this illness, what's the antidote? And he's like, you know what, just try whatever you want. See, and that's there. That is it doesn't point. work. You can't live this out. It's yeah. not livable. So uh, th- that's kind of the thing. So we know and understand what his goal was, is to fit and adapt Christianity mm-hmm. to a modern, po- like postmodern worldview, yep. right? So some issues with this ideology, though, are that human beings do not create truth. We discover it. That's important. That's, human beings do not create truth. We discover truth. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, too, uh, like, th- this is something I think that's a similar statement that you may hear a lot, is that, um, like, like, listen to science, right? Science mm-hmm. says this. Well, sure. oftentimes... Scientists say this, you, yeah. but when in actuality, like science in itself is just the, the act of discovering. Yeah, science right? doesn't say anything. Of course, scientists it yes. say so, things. So, th- yeah. in the same way, like truth doesn't say it. We discover it; it's just there, yeah. right? In the same way, like science, it's there. We just discover it. Yep. So but we have to interpret it accurately. We, exactly. Exactly. But, but we don't create. We don't we create, create it. it. And so you see Thank this. You. you see this happening in our culture a lot right now. Of course. Yeah. With the, the idea of you know like sex assigned at birth or yeah. transgender, it's that I, in my interior person, can will mm. myself to to be whatever I want. 
Yeah. I create what's true for me. Even if it goes against all science and all biology and the external objective world, that's fine. Yeah, I don't that's care. where you hear the term your I truth, right? Create my own truth. Yeah, yeah. That's the idea. But we don't create truth. We discover truth. We discover what is objectively real in the physical world and in the metaphysical world. Yeah, there, there's really like that's another statement I hear a lot too. Your truth. That, that there's no such thing as your truth. There's just truth. Yeah, yeah, and that that's something that people uh, I think get confused a lot. But yep. um, but yeah, that's the thing is um, uh, also just like we said, uh, the idea that sexuality and marriage are, are like how the church viewed uh, retrograde motion has no biblical support. Yeah, uh, what is happening is that he's stating that what he wants to believe to be right trumps what scripture clearly teaches. And that's yeah. that's really what it comes to. Because relativism is now our culture and we can make this yes. be whatever we want it to be. Yes, it all comes down to his his own idea of orthodoxy. Yeah. Rather than discovering God's instructions for humans. Yes. That's exactly what And what it does is. scripture say about sexuality, right? Yeah. Is it a thing that we can morph? Is marriage just something we can change whenever we want to? Well, no, because that's the thing, right? Like Jesus said in Matthew 19, like he spoke on what marriage really is. Yeah. 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 Jesus talks about, you remember that passage, they're coming to him and the question of the day is, what's the deal with divorce? Right. Yeah. And there yeah. was two schools of thought. There was the school of Hillel that believed if your wife burned your toast, that is an unsavory thing and you can divorce right. her for burning your dinner because of what Moses wrote in the law. If she commits an impropriety is what it said. Right. For, for 1,400 years, they'd taken it to mean she commits adultery. But then they were saying, well, impropriety. I mean, that could be, I don't like how she cooked my dinner. Literally, this is what they were arguing. Yeah. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, which side of the issue are you on with this? And it's interesting because a guy, he does, first of all, he doesn't say, oh, do whatever your own truth is. Mm-mm. He he says, well, let me tell you something. From the beginning, God hates divorce. Like, so you shouldn't, he's implying, I'm, I'm not with the school of law. You shouldn't divorce your, your wife for anything. But he even ups the ante. He says, that rule that Moses gave is only because you live in a broken and fallen world and you guys are stubborn people. God's intention for marriage goes back to the beginning and then he lists it. One man yeah. marrying one woman for one, becoming one flesh for one lifetime. Yeah, that's that's, that's exactly what Jesus it. says marriage is. So I'm. So now think about this. There's a 1400 year time gap from when Genesis was written to when Jesus is quoting it, and he doesn't say, "Well, in their culture, and we have to update it for the times." No, 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 no. He believes that that statement still stands true 1400 years later. Yeah, I got to go with Jesus on this one. I mean, it, it just makes sense because uh, that's the thing is like we need to realize that these truths are always relevant that, yep. like from Scripture. Yep. They, they were written in a way that passes time. It, it well, doesn't matter what culture we live and in. And that's something too because everyone always talks about relevancy, relevant. We got to be relevant. And you can even see with, with Brian McLaren, he was trying to update Christianity for the new culture and yeah, world. Yeah, And yeah. Some of the issues we have are, number one, like you said, human beings don't create truth, we discover it. But the second thing that we have issues with is that eternal Mm. truths are always relevant. Right. We don't adapt Christianity to the current cultural belief. In fact, I think we need to help the current cultural belief to see the eternal truths of Christianity. Isn't that what scripture tells us to do? Yeah. Over and over and over again. I mean, Jesus is talking about you're in the world, you're not of it, right? Um, In Romans 12, 2, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So we're literally told, don't be pressed into the mold of this current culture. Yes. But we're supposed to be ambassadors here, bringing the ministry of reconciliation to people. So, yeah. so this idea that we need to update Christianity to the culture, it's... It, Scripture teaches the opposite. We well, need to update you know the culture to Christianity. Like, I'm so glad, though, that God designed it in this way to where he only had to, like, leave us this, like, leave us Scripture once, like, yeah. come down, like, like bring the Bible together for us, mm-hmm. and then, like, speak the truth during that time and that yeah. age, and it's, like, one and done. He doesn't have to come back and, like, reevaluate no. what his word says because his word is perfect. It's unchanged. Yeah. It's infallible. He's not, again, he's, not right? the, he's not the new iOS system. We don't need no, an update. We don't. No, He gave it to us, and it's yeah. always relevant. That, that's so important for us is right. we don't need to update it. We need to understand it. Right. We need to know what's there. We discover the truth, but we don't create it or morph it into what we want it to be. Yeah, and I know why this. I can I, I can see where some people come from and the idea of like th- having that mindset of like pr- progress, right? Because we sure. talked about it before. It's it's also a cultural thing in the sense of like people like as technology progresses, right? Yeah. People want to move on and be relevant. Like if I walked around. Wearing, uh, having my shirt tucked in all the time, mm-hmm. and having, uh, like, like, uh, my, my jeans folded up like it's the '90s. Yeah, I'm not very culturally relevant, am I? No. And that's the thing. And like, of course, in that sense, in culture, yeah, like we want to kind of adapt and be like cool. Yeah. We want to be relevant. It's kind of human nature to want to fit in with sure. what's happening. But the thing is, is the Bible isn't like that. It's not like some no. tr- cultural fad or a trend that changes and adapts over time. And that's what people are trying to well, do with it. And what I don't understand is this. How do you cherry pick and choose what you need to update for relevancy? Because I know that Brian McLaren and Grace Point Church would not be cool if you and I said, you know what? Yeah, let's get rid of these old ways of scripture and update it for our times and just start murdering people. Because the Bible says you should murder. They'd be like, no, no, that's nuts. Like, what are you doing? Well, I thought we can just make it whatever we want because it's a library of texts of how people interact with God. And this is how I interact with God. And if you're being consistent, you have to say that. But they wouldn't because that's not loving and nice. And and then you get to the point of saying, why do you think that condoning sexual immorality is loving and nice? And what they will say, what they have to get to is because our culture thinks it's okay. I'm pretty sure Jesus said... In this world, you'll have trouble. Mm, yes. It almost seems like they're not trying to have trouble with the world. Yeah. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we're, we should expect problems if mm. we're standing up for what God says. Remember what Jesus says? They hated me. Yeah. They're going to hate you. Exactly. Like, I mean, it's so, so good. Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, and, and I don't think it's just because we're nice and we let everyone do what they want. No. It's because we stand up for truth, which means we stand up for what's objectively real. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so uh, just moving on with yeah, that. Third too. point. What's another issue we have with this ideology? Yes. Uh, to love others in this, according to this idea means to accept and affirm what they are doing. Right. Yeah, we don't and agree that's not with that. True. Yeah, we don't no, agree with that. No, uh, this postmodern Christianity does not address the issue of sin. Yep. Right? Uh, Jesus did not affirm and accept whatever anyone believed, right? No, and they act like that. They act like Jesus came to show us the way of just accepting everybody's no. belief and everybody's there ideas. There's so many times in Scripture where Jesus had to correct yeah. and provide truth. 
all that, the time. That's literally what he was there to do. And it's, the Bible yeah. talks about that. He came full of grace and truth. Both. Yes, exactly. So he was loving, but being loving means telling the truth. Yeah, even uh, the story of the woman at the well, right? Uh, her theology was corrected by Jesus. Yeah, he, he literally corrects her. Yeah, much <laughs> this is yeah. a very famous story that a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, I'm going to read uh, through this uh, passage. It's in John 4, 19 through 22. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming whether, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Think about that. Look at that. He tells her, no, you're wrong. You don't know yeah. what you're worshiping. We have it right. You have it wrong. He deliberately said that. And he's loving her. Yeah. And he tells her the gospel. And he so again, I, I think that this idea that you, know, you just accept what anybody's ideas are, have, or that's there, how mm. they relate with God, that isn't how Jesus operated. No, he came to instruct and to, he's literally called the word. Yeah. He came to show us who and what God is. Mm. You think about the Sermon on the Mount too, right? Oh yeah. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you. If you've looked at a woman with lust, he's like, he's literally condemning people there. He's telling he them is. this is wrong. It's yeah. not just about external behavior. It's about who you are on the inside. Exactly. And so this idea yeah. that he's just, oh, the way of Jesus is just love and acceptance. That is completely not what the Bible tells us about Jesus. No, it's not. And, and that's the thing. It just comes from an understanding of what he actually said and what yep. he taught. Yep. The, also, another issue we have with this ideology is that... Uh, th they, they have this idea of inclusivity, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a place for all religions and everybody's beliefs and we can all come together and just love. Yeah. Um, this idea of inclusivity speaks directly against what Jesus taught and what his disciples taught. Yeah, it does. So again, a really famous passage in scripture is John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes. Jesus is exclusive. Now, that doesn't mean that his offer of salvation isn't for everybody. It literally is for everybody. But there aren't a hundred anecdotes to the human problem. There's only one, and it's Jesus. Mm. And it's not because he's a jerk. It's because he's the only one that fixed our problem. Yeah. He's the only one that died and paid the penalty for our sin and then gives us his righteousness, which will qualify us for heaven. But we have to trust in him for that. That's the, that's the gospel. Yeah, exactly. To trust and believe in what he did on our behalf. There's no other way. It's it's like, um, you know, if you have some kind of medication, you know, if you're yeah. diabetic and you need insulin, you right. can't just inject hummingbird food into yourself <laughs> and have it work. You can't inject ice cream into yourself. Yeah. You can't inject penicillin. You need insulin. Yeah. There is no other way to deal with your diabetes than by using insulin. Yes, Oh, that's so exclusive. You hate You bigot. hate aspirin, <laughs> ibuprofen. But that's where they're coming at with this. Yeah. Jesus directly said, no, there isn't another way to God except through me. And then Peter says the same thing in Acts 4, 11 through 12. This is what Peter says. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Mm. And there is salvation in no one else, because there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yeah. Peter is exclusive. Jesus is exclusive. So when it comes to this idea of inclusivity— right. It directly goes against what Jesus says. Absolutely, so to call yeah. it progressive Christianity, you're not following Christ. Yeah, it's true. So it's just a name at that point. It really is. And that, like, that's the thing. And we see, too, Jesus uh, also believed that the Bible was the word of God. Like, not this just the huge, library of text. That's a huge deal. Yeah, that, that's a huge deal. And, like, that... Jesus oftentimes, too, he, he even refers to uh, Scripture, the Old Testament... As the word of God in Mark seven thirteen, mm-hmm. and then he said in uh, John ten thirty five that scripture cannot be broken. Uh, that scripture uh, is the commandment of God in Matthew fifteen three, and that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the law until it all is accomplished, according to Matthew five eighteen, is what he said, and that would imply that he says. When he says there that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter stroke will pass away from the law, that means that it's eternal. That well, it's, it's, I mean, eternal yeah. in the sense of like, like it's here for us now and it's going to be culturally relevant in this life. At That's least, the point. Yeah. If, if yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that the earth hasn't passed away because I'm sitting on of it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which means that the law, not even one small part of it's passed away. Yes, exactly. And so it, right? it yeah. will go on and yep. that's the point. And so it doesn't change. Doesn't need an update. Yes. It's not however we want to make it mean what it means. Mm-hmm. And so that, that wasn't Jesus' opinion of scripture. Yes. And so what would have to happen is the progressive church would have to say that Jesus is completely irrelevant. wrong. And They're they wrong. won't say that. Like no. that's the crazy thing is they won't say Jesus is wrong about marriage. No. Jesus is wrong about scripture. Jesus is wrong about inclusivity. Yeah. And see, that's the trick with a lot of these different cults and religious ideas mm-hmm. and these heresies is that they, they try to include little nuggets of truth in there, right? Yeah. They try to include little bits and pieces, and everybody also wants a piece of Jesus. Yeah, no one ever want wants to let go Even of Even when this clearly goes against what they say they believe. Yeah. They still won't say Jesus got it wrong. It's because... They, they're attracted to him Yeah. Still. It's yeah. because people are drawn to Jesus, and yeah. that's why. It's fascinating. Yeah. But... If I call myself a Christian, a little Christ, a follower of Jesus, which is what he calls me to do, follow me, right? Yeah. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I should probably align my beliefs with what he taught. Yeah. Not try to take what he taught and fit it into my culture. Yeah. Because then that's Jesus following following me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's just me following me. And so if, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to take seriously the things that he said. Mm. I think that that makes sense. It does. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. And so like, we need to be looking at what is our source coming from, yep. right? Whose authority are we Who's looking authority? to? I'd rather look to Jesus' authority than Brian McLaren's. Yeah. To yeah. be honest, and, this, and if, if any of us, if we're honest with ourselves, wouldn't you rather look to the God of the universe's authority than your own? Mm. My authority is mess. Like my yeah. ideas change. Like I am not a cornerstone. No. I, I need to stand on the rock. I need stability. And Jesus comes to provide that. So this whole idea of progressive Christianity is very dangerous. It mm. sounds loving. It sounds inclusive. But honestly, it isn't. And here's why. 
Because to really love somebody, you need to tell them what's true. Yeah. You have love to. rejoices in the truth is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Mm-hmm. Jesus came in grace and in truth, full of grace and truth. Yes. And so in order to be gracious or loving, we can't throw out truth because it's part of being loving. Yes. To love somebody means you tell them what's real. I love my kids and I tell them the truth. I don't fill their mind with uh, myths and fantasies about life because that's not loving, right? When they're wrong, I have to tell them the truth that they're wrong because they need to live in reality, not Mm. live in a fantasy world. That's a thing. And that's, I think, too, where uh, um, a lot of Christians, too, uh, and I've got myself caught up in this before. Like this Mm. is, I think this is just something in human nature. Uh, Oftentimes we're afraid to offend people. We're afraid to hurt people's feelings sometimes. Yep. Oh, yeah. Nobody likes to to offend others. Well, some people do. (laughs) But a lot of people don't like to make others mad at them. Yeah. yeah. I don't want people to be mad at me. Right. Of course. No. And that's so relatable. Like nobody wants that. And, And that's the thing. I think it just comes to a point where we have to realize that hurting people's feelings, I think, is a sacrifice that's worth making. To tell the truth. Tell the truth. Yeah, if you're telling the truth, right? Yeah. Hurting people's feelings isn't something you just want to do for no reason. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's the thing. But we have to stand for the truth. Like, do you think Jesus didn't hurt people's feelings? Oh, people were pretty pissed at him. People were mad. Yeah. A a lot. I mean, I'm pretty sure they killed him because they didn't (laughs) like what he said, right? Isn't that the idea? Yeah, I think they killed him because he's told them the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's where it's at with Jesus. I also think, and again, this might step on people's toes, but that's okay if it's true, right? That's what I'm saying. Sometimes we mask, oh no, I'm just loving and accepting of everybody, not because you love other people, but because you love yourself and you don't yeah. want to have people mad at you. Yeah, and you don't want to hurt. It's actually selfishness. Yeah. It's not love for I, others. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. No, no, I don't think that's far-fetched at all to say. Yep. It's, I truly believe it's extremely selfish because uh, there's tons of people out there that are like this. And uh, you, eventually what happens too is you can kind of just become a pushover. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say, and look, I know that this is going to probably hurt some feelings out there, but the thing is, yeah. is you're a pushover if you don't stand up for truth and you yeah. just go wherever the wind blows. You stand for nothing. You stand for you nothing. You literally get pushed over. Because you stand that's for nothing. That's why, and like, yeah. that's why I'm not afraid to say that. I'm yeah. not afraid to hurt your feelings if that offends you, because I care about you, and I, and I you want you to understand the truth. So applauding people into sexual immorality, no matter what it is, no, yeah. no matter if it's homosexuality, no matter if it's adultery, no matter if it's fornication, no matter anything outside of one man, one woman, one flesh yeah. for one lifetime, is sin according to what Scripture says. Yes. And when we encourage or applaud or affirm people in these other things, we're actually hurting them because Mm -hmm. God told us this is the way human beings operate best. And when you go outside of that and you do things that weren't designed to be done, it's bad for you. Yeah. And this is like eating glass is bad for me. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't matter what my desire is to eat glass. It's bad for exactly. me. But to affirm that in me and to buy me light bulbs so I can continue to eat glass isn't loving me. What's loving would be to tell me, you know, Robbie, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Because that's not how you were made to be. And so this is, this is where love in our society has this idea of let people do whatever they want. But actually that's selfishness so, and on your part. It is. Real love is. means standing up for truth. Yes, and absolutely. And I think 
Uh, again, that's just the whole idea of what we've been talking about in this podcast episode. We want you guys to have an understanding of the progressive church because these are the ideas that are coming out. Yep. It's Christianity that goes wherever the wind blows. Yeah. Culture. Well, it's not even Christianity. Well, it's right? not. It's just they no, call it's it not. Christianity. Because the thing is, is they, they don't affirm that the gospel is what saves you. So, yep. And that's not, like we talk about too. Closed-handed issues, right? This yep. is a closed-handed issue. Yeah, the gospel is really important. Closed-handed yes. issue. Yeah. Yes. Salvation by grace through faith. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. So, hey, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got a lot of cool guests actually coming up for uh, do, a lot yeah. of this month. So make sure you tune in next week as we have guests on. But we are just really appreciative of you listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we will be back with another episode next week. Yes, we will. All See right, you we'll then. catch you then. If you enjoyed the show and felt that this podcast was beneficial to you, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you become a Level 4 supporter on our Patreon page, you can get yourself one of our stoneware, Christ Culture, and coffee mugs, as well as a t-shirt and a sticker. We are available on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube, and we are also available on all social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee.